Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. It's the first Metal Matters of 2024. New Year, same old markets. China fears are back. Even though policy is supportive, and I'd say metals and bulk commodities generally have been a little bit subdued, trading sideways. Anyway, here's a prosperous year for all. And first off this week, I want to talk about Metco. That's where we've had a lot of incoming over 2024 to date. Perhaps that's unsurprising given prices are holding above $300 a tonne, FOB Australia, for premium grades of coke and coal. And I mean, Metcoal as a whole, I always find it a very interesting market. Typically say that Seaboard Metcoal is an ex-China-led market on the demand side, whereas iron ore, well, that's all about China. You could arguably narrow that definition down further to simply an India-led spot market over the past year or so. India's rapid acceleration in steel demand growth has fed through to higher steel output levels, higher blast furnace output. And that's risen by about 10 million tons on an annualized basis over the past two years. And there's little quality coking coal in the domestic market, hence Indian buyers have had to look towards international tons to satiate needs. Where are we at the moment, though? <laughs> the only aggressive competition in the spot market for coking coal, very liquid spot market, of course, is between Indian steel mills themselves. That's probably why the Indian government has reportedly formed a consortium for public sector companies to collectively purchase coal and perhaps alleviate a bit of the over-reliance on Australia. Honestly, I'm a bit sceptical this will actually have any market impact, but uh, India's not the only one trying to exert a little bit more control from the buyer perspective. Uh, Second largest Japanese steelmaker, JFE, will buy more from the spot market. That's a little bit of a different strategy. Arguably more mature tactic, because the aim there is to create a bit more pricing transparency through a higher number of transactions, and that should theoretically lower market volatility. Now, I said it's seaborne coal's an ex-China-led market, but China does have a bearing on global coking coal markets. It's a little, little bit more complex, though, than for other commodities. Even if we take 2023 as an example, so we have China's coking coal imports rising about 50% year-on-year to 98 million tonnes. That's the highest in recent times. But if you strip out the quasi-captive supply from Mongolia and Russia, which typically comes over land, then competitive seaborne coal, met coal imports into China were actually the lowest in recent history. So China's influence on the global swap market is arguably waning. But when you've got one country that accounts for over two-thirds of blast furnace output and therefore roughly equivalent proportion of medical demand, there is going to be an impact. A small change in China can have a massive delta on the global market. Put it in context, that Chinese domestic market is over double that traded internationally. And this is where it gets a little bit more interesting. On our numbers, China's domestic cooking coal supply might drop 2% this year on quality issues and on safety checks. Technically, that's a bullish thing, but the availability of coal from Mongolia is rising rising fast and can more than offset this. Um, Chinese coal prices are now falling. And I do like met coal from a, a, a fundamental perspective. I see it as likely to trade at a premium to the cost curve consistently over the coming years. 
But to be honest, it's a bit of a struggle to underwrite global spot prices at current levels as being the new normal. Another commodity that's seen quite a bit of action over the past month has been Illumina, where Chinese prices have hit a two-year high. Mainly, this is down to fears over bauxite supply after an explosion at Guinea's main oil refinery. Just as a reminder, Guinea is now the largest bauxite producer in the world. 100 million tonnes shipped to China in 2023. That was 70% of China's imports. So there could be an impact. I mean, there's a lack of diesel available to mines that will cause some issues, but I'm expecting China to step in here with some supplies here. And consultant crew has noted that bauxite stockpiles in China are currently about 50 million tonnes. So that's five months of imports at the present time. So we don't really see any constraints from that situation. However, uh, we do have safety checks in Shangxi uh, in China that's related to coal, but it is impacting domestic bauxite availability and cost structure. And when you couple with that with some pollution-related cuts in the alumina market, that is becoming a bit more of an issue. It's transient, but for now, yes, if I'm a buyer of alumina in China, I'm maybe a little bit nervous. And I suppose if you can add to that, we've seen Alcoa confirm it's closing its 2.2 million tonne per annum Quinana refinery in Australia. That's historically been a relatively major supplier of merchant alumina, particularly actually into the Middle East market. So... Some supply problems, but if we take a step back, however, Illumina is a market where China, current restrictions aside, has gone from being a net importer to self-sufficient over the past couple of years. And history will tell you that's not a great thing for any commodity market. We expect Illumina through cycle to have to see more Quinana-like closures to balance supply and demand. Let's come back to China. Now, wider market seem to be somewhat disappointed with the lack of clear and present stimulus in China at present. I'd argue the data suggests the economic outlook is fine. Not great, but, but certainly fine, particularly compared with other parts of the world. Uh, just as an example of, of where we're seeing good data, uh, full year 2023 China autos, uh, 30 million units. Uh, that's up 12% year on year. December's electric vehicle sales hit 14 million units on an annualized basis. The, I remember the chart we have for that. We used to have 6 million units as the, the y-axis, and we have to keep extending it almost every month. Near term, January is a weaker period for Chinese refined metal demand, and that's perhaps evidenced by a, a falling copper cathode premium, and it will likely be post-lunar new year before we see this pick up. But the raw materials end of the chain does tend to lead this, and we've seen some pretty strong price signals here. Seen iron ore pushing up to $140 a ton in early January. And now we've got spot copper concentrate treatment and refining charges dropping below $50 a ton and five cents per pound, respectively. That's uh, the lowest we've seen in a while. Talking of raw materials, actually, one interesting development over the festive period was China's MPCSC releasing a draft revision of the country's mineral resources law for public comment. Uh, State Council had approved this earlier in December, and it calls for a strong increase in domestic resource extraction and includes a promise of support for new exploration and development. Now, even last year, we saw uh, fixed asset investment in non-ferrous mining and processing pick up, uh, particularly in the second half of the year. This key part of China's strategy to develop more optionality around 
critical mineral supply in case of resource nationalism or tariffs as this global battle for critical minerals continues to ramp up. Now, just as uh, something different, I mean, not everything in China is perfect and data quality issues are starting to raise their head again, particularly in the metals mining industry and particularly in steel. Latest data from the China Iron and Steel Association suggests that Chinese crude steel output declined dramatically in the last 11 days of December to 608 million tonnes per annum. Now, that's down 14% on the 10 days prior, 13% on a year-on-year basis. Face value, that would be the lowest volume since late January 2017 and would imply just 1.1% growth for steel output over the whole year of 2023. I've discussed this before. I mean, this is strategic under-reporting by steel mills in order to hit official NDRC mandates. And the NDRC has requested that steel output should not rise year-on-year. This has been met perhaps by full means rather than by fair means. Um, In reality, steel output, yeah, it's down a bit, but it remains pretty robust. A sequential decline like that has never been seen before and would imply a widespread industrial shutdown in China, which doesn't tally with media reports, doesn't tally with iron ore or steel price moves or some of the third-party capacity utilization surveys. Coming back to overall economic expectations and metals demand, where could the upside to our our base case 2024 expectations come from? Uh, Keeping a close eye on the resumption of the PBOC's pledged supplementary lending program for public housing construction. Um, Expectations are pretty muted generally for new construction development. This has potential to provide some positive delta. Downside risks hmm, comes back to financial system maybe the second order risk from uh, bankruptcies in the, the shadow banking uh, sector, and also a little bit worried still about the potential risk from losses and overcapacity in many industrial sectors and how that plays to banks' loan books. Lastly this week, the ongoing situation in the Red Sea, while obviously a bigger issue for the oil market, is starting to have some impact on other commodity markets. Uh, Rerouting vessels via the Cape of Good Hope, well that adds about 10 days to transit time between China and Europe compared to going through the Suez. Now, the actual impact on bulk freight thus far is limited. The Baltic Dry Index this week dropped to a two-month low uh, amid the usual seasonal weakness in January iron ore shipments, particularly from Brazil. But container freights are on the rise again. They're up to the highest level since October 2022. So metals and bulks, what are we looking for in terms of impacts? Well, ferrous scrap is the obvious one. Uh, shipping from the Atlantic to the Pacific uh, to Southeast Asian buyers is now more expensive. And this is pushing up global scrap prices and could well push steel prices in Asia a bit higher. For base metals, no real impact on the core LME price, but we could see some upward pressure on premiums, particularly for aluminium, given the prevalence of uh, Middle East capacity. Maybe some small impact on on coal flows from Australia into steelmakers in the region and, and power plants. And given Oman and Turkey are actually important sources of chrome ore for China's stainless steel industry and will be impacted by some shipping restrictions, we expect some uh, upward pressure perhaps in spot chrome ore prices. We take a big step back and think about it. If 2023 was marked by a loosening of supply chain pressures, including logistics, then 2024 is set to see some of these pressures return 
to metals and mining and indeed other industries. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters and every second week throughout 2024 we'll be providing thoughts and insight on the latest developments that we see in metals and bulk commodity markets. If there's anything you'd like to hear about, do just let me know and here's to a good year for all. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at Colin dot hamilton at bimo.com to access our full disclosures please visit researchglobalzero.bimocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure